0: On February 7th, 2016, in Levi's Stadium, located in Southern California, Beyonce performed the greatest Super Bowl halftime show of all time. Now, I'm not sure if you remember that performance, and if you don't remember it, you didn't see it, because it was the greatest Super Bowl halftime show of all time. But aside from the performance itself, one of the reasons that it caused so much conversation and debate and posts and news articles and response videos was because of what the performance represented. See, just one day before the Super Bowl halftime show, Beyonce released a black-powered themed music video for her song, Formation, and the internet went nuts. The Super Bowl performance a day later had a lot of people Upset and outraged as Beyoncé unapologetically centered black history as she paid homage to the Black Panther Party in honor of its 50th anniversary. One of the response articles that was written in celebration of Beyoncé's performance and the history of the Black Panther Party was an article entitled, The Truth You Don't Know About the Black Panthers, As Told From a Former Party Member. In this article, former party leader Erica Huggins talked about the role that women played in the Black Panthers, and history, as we know, is overwhelmingly centered on telling the story from the perspective of men, which is one of the reasons we hear very little about the women of the Black Panther Party especially. But Higgins and other women speak on just how vital the work of women was in the success of the Black Panther Party. Federica Newton, widowed wife of Huey Newton, says, quote, women not only had to do the same amount of work, of organizing and protesting and teaching and caring, but even more than the men did, because we also had to care for the children. There is a misconception that women had no prominent roles in the party and that our work was supposed to be supporting the men, and we did these menial duties behind the scenes. But, Frederica said, there was a time when the whole Black Panther Party leadership was women. Women were vital in their roles in the party as they are now. The Black Panther Party would go on to start community-based programs like the breakfast program that provides free breakfast to over 20,000 school children in 19 cities, they set up healthcare clinics in 13 cities, They started the Oakland Community School, the People's Free Ambulance Service, and the Black Panther newspaper, and so much more. And women were at the center of this movement. They were always there, even if their work of supporting and organizing went unnoticed, and unrecognized, and untold by the books that would be written and the stories that would be told. This sacred work of the women that was often done in the secret without acknowledgement, would go on to shape and change the entire country as we know it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to be this morning. If you're new to the Bible, as we all once were, you can feel free to pull out your phone and Google Matthew 27 to find it. Again, good morning. Welcome to you. My name is Joseph. My pronouns are he, him, and it is great to be with you on this third week of Advent. We are spending these few weeks of Advent unpacking various scenes at the cross and looking back to how these scenes can inform our understanding of the birth narratives of Jesus. Today, We are looking at the story of the women at the cross and the sacred of the secret, all right? The sacred of the secret. Okay, so Matthew 27, hopefully you found it. We're going to pick up reading in verse 55, so find that. It's a very short passage, only two verses, but it is just packed with beauty and encouragement for us this morning. Now, before we dive in, just a bit of context. These verses are coming right after Jesus has been arrested. He went through a sham trial. The guards have mocked him and flogged him. They have crucified him. Jesus has given up his final breath. He has died. Darkness has fallen over the entire city, and an earthquake has ripped through the city, and everyone is on edge and scared. And look with me at what Matthew includes at the end of this incredibly dramatic scene. Matthew says this, verse 55. Many women were also there looking on from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee and had provided for him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now, what comes to mind when you hear the word disciple? If you're anything like me and you grew up in church, you grew up in and around white evangelicalism, which apparently is a lot of us because we knew what the room singing separate sides and we knew that song. You know that. You know exactly the kind of culture that I'm talking about. But if you come from that culture, if you know that environment, typically when you think of the 12 followers of Jesus, you instantly think of the 12 men, right? Chances are, if you are reading the Bible, you are, like I do oftentimes, your reading is steeped in patriarchal and misogynistic readings of the text. And one of the ways this plays out is that when we think of the disciples of Jesus, Oftentimes, our mind just go instantly to thinking of the twelve men, right? You're not alone in that because that's exactly what I do as well. We think of Peter and James and John and Bartholomew. Which, by the way, who even was Bartholomew? Like we, nobody dresses up as that guy, and he got almost no airtime in the story. And I think Bart is just probably misunderstood, and so I just want to say that out loud that Bart. We love you. Anyways, back to patriarchy. When we think of Jesus, we think of his followers. We often think of the disciples, and we only consider the 12 men. That's where most of the story focuses, most of what we read about, and the topic of most sermons and stories. And what we often forget, again, thanks to the culture that we've grown up in, the faith that was given to us, when we think of disciples of Jesus, we miss the fact that this included women as well. We all know about the 12 male disciples of Jesus, but oftentimes we don't spend as much time thinking about the women who enabled, to, enabled Jesus to do what he did. Because women were at the very center of the ministry of Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 8, I love this passage, we read this, after this, Jesus traveled about from town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women. Mary called Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of shuza the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support Jesus out of their own means. Okay, now pause here. We know that Jesus is traveling around pro- proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. We know that the 12 men were with him, and the writer, again, even though they, the writer of the gospel, was steeped in an even more extreme version of patriarchy and misogyny and ethnocentrism and classism, the writer makes it a point to tell us that women were there as well. They were traveling with Jesus doing the exact same things that the men were doing, which was unheard of for a rabbi. This was unbelievable for the contemporaries of Jesus. We think of it now as maybe just like, oh, that's kind. But it was incredibly subversive, inappropriate, heretical, and even dangerous. Because only men could be disciples or followers of rabbi. You would have a rabbi, this rabbi would call followers and disciples who were only ever men, and those men would train in the way of the rabbi and would walk with them and talk with them and eat with them. They would exist in the circle of their rabbi for years and years and years with the expectation that one day I will become a rabbi and I will have my own disciples. Jesus comes on the scene, and he starts inviting the women into his inner circle, and this is one of the many reasons that people hated Jesus. Because Jesus was breaking these binaries that not only included women, but also gave them power and influence, not just in the world, but even in his own ministry. And these women, unsurprisingly were absolutely incredible. They were helping to support Jesus, quote, out of their own means. They were leaders and managers and organizers and administrators and financial donors and more, all providing for Jesus and doing most of this sacred work in the secret and behind the scenes. And in our passage for this morning, the exact same thing is happening, but this time in an even more dramatic sense. At the most crucial and pivotal and important moment in the life and ministry of Jesus, he was completely abandoned by almost every single one of his male disciples. But notice who was there at the cross. Who showed up, who stayed, who pressed on, Who was it? It was the women. These women not only walked with Jesus and did ministry with Jesus and served alongside Jesus, but also provided for Jesus. Jesus had no job. He had no income. He was homeless, and he lived off the generosity of the people that he would come into town, stay at their house, eat their food, drink their wine. That's what he did. And Jesus was living off the generosity, we read, of these women. These women were meeting the needs of God in flesh out of their own means. And in our scene, we know historically that women oftentimes weren't even allowed to be at executions for a lot of different reasons. But they weren't allowed to be there but they gave a couple rightful middle fingers to the Romans and showed up anyways and said, this is my rabbi, I will be there. And Matthew makes sure that we notice in this account of the cross that the very people whose society would tell us are the strongest and most capable and most qualified and most proficient and most experienced all fall away and abandon their teacher while the women are still there. Still leading, still serving, still, still doing their sacred work even in the secret. Now, thank you for your patience as we unpack that passage, but one of the reasons I am so captivated by this vision and by this culture of this sacred work in the secret is because I'm beginning to realize more and more that this is the story of our faith. This is the story of a garden and a tree and centuries of bloodshed and waiting and depravity and the long winter of the soul waiting for redemption. This is the story of injustice and evil as looming gods of violence and greed captivate the hearts and minds of the most powerful people in our society while you and I are left picking up the scraps and hoping for a faint glow of hope in the darkness and the secret places of our lives. This is the story of Advent, the sacred work of those who walk in the shadows, who serve without recognition, who leverage their time and resources and gifts and abilities and influence for the sake of others, all while receiving no accolades, no awards, no shares on social media, no retweets, no likes, no thank yous, no speaking requests, and no support from family and friends. Their story, and maybe you feel the same this morning, has been a story of a lonely, painful road, of tirelessly working, often in the secret that goes unnoticed by friends and family and colleagues and roommates and partners, and even as it feels like sometimes the very creator God that we claim to worship. That story is the story of Advent. That was the story of Mary, this poor teenage girl who was the property of her father and then became the property of her engaged husband. This was the story of Elizabeth, the disgraced, barren woman that no one thought was worth anything without kids. This was the story of the entire birth narrative. God beginning the beautiful reign of justice and mercy and liberation and love with two women. And not even powerful women in society, but overlooked, forgotten, mistreated women. They are at the center of this story. With no recognition, no support, but hoping and praying that their sacred work in the secret would somehow matter in the story. That beauty would come from ashes, that dreams would be realized, and hope would break through in the midst of shadows. And maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling this. Like deeply in your bones, you are feeling like your work in the world, whatever that looks like, is going unnoticed. That your suffering is unrecognized, that your activism and talents and gifts and dreams and visions are in a constant cycle of disappointment and sorrow and loss and grief. You maybe are a woman who feels called to lead in a greater measure but aren't getting the same chances that your male colleagues are. You're a single person who feels tired and lonely and weary from dating in the streets and it's just not working out. And you're trying to find a partner and feeling like everyone around you is getting what they want. And this Christmas morning will be another morning that you wake up alone. You're a queer person trying to find spaces and people and a community to affirm and celebrate and honor the Imago day of God in your gender and sexuality, and you continue to be hurt and disappointed by the very people who are supposed to be your biggest advocates and cheerleaders. You're in a relationship with someone who is constantly subverting and preventing you from realizing the dreams of what you want to do and who you want to be in the world. You're a high school student or maybe a college student who has worked your entire life to graduate and begin this next chapter of your life and you have no idea what that next chapter is going to look like. You've been praying and waiting and longing for a child, or a job, or healing, or an answer, and you are stuck in the shadows. In the waiting, in the secret. If that's you this morning, I want to remind you that the sacred, secret work is not forgotten. That your struggle, your pain, your sorrow, is not only valid, but it is seen by a God who listens and a God who hears. And not only that, but God is a God who not only hears you, but actually joins you in the waiting, joins you in the secret, in the loneliness, in the shadows, in this sacred work in the secret. Because your work there, whatever there is for you, is sacred. It is important. It is meaningful. And just like the mother of Jesus, Mary, who lived her entire life in obscurity as property of the men in her life, suddenly gets a visit from an angel telling her that she is going to be, quote, pregnant by God and now has to navigate being completely alone and feeling like no one around her understands what she is going through. I wonder what that must have felt like for Mary. And I wonder if you can relate to that here this morning. You know who was there at the cross? Not Peter, not James, but Mary was there. This same Mary who struggled in the secret and arguably became one of the most significant people in the entire life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. And so are you here this morning. You are significant and your work is sacred. and Your worth is not tied to your success and your Value is not tied to your relationship status and your future is not bound by your current circumstances. Your calling and your gifting and your influence is not tied to any man or job or degree or tax bracket or opportunity because your sacred work in the secret is one where God invites you into a space of love and co-creation as you partner with Holy Spirit to become all that God has made you to be in the world. And so as we consider the story of the women at the cross and how this story points us to the beautiful and brutal work of the sacred moments in the secret, I want us to remember this morning that our work is not in vain. If you feel like it is, those feelings are valid, but I just want to encourage you this morning that it is not in vain. Your hopes and dreams and problems and visions and passions are held by God. And the same God who met these women at the cross, and commissioned them to be agents of renewal in the world, will also meet us right where we are and partner with us to see heaven come to earth.